The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amen. That saved a wretch like me. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to talk with you about the terrifying seventh seal. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that as we address this question and this this terrifying word from your scripture that you will both give us inspiration and courage and certainty of our walk with you, knowing that we can walk through any fire if you are with us, through any river if you will carry us. We ask, Lord, that you would put our hearts at peace with you and that we would do whatever is necessary to come into your place of rest, that we would not be thrown away, that we would not be cast out into outer darkness. Lord, our trust is in you. 
But today there are those listening, Lord, who need to make major changes in their life. There are those listening who are walking in darkness, but their heart is being called to you, Jesus. Would you come now, Holy Spirit of the living God? I pray in your mighty name. Amen. In the book of Revelation, we find the Lamb of God receives the title deed to earth. The title deed is passed to him in the heavenlies. The Apostle John records it in the book of Revelation. There are seven seals on this book that are open. Each opening of a seal is the step-by-step schematic that Jesus goes through in the heavenly realm to totally free earth from all sin and all wickedness. It is the step-by-step process by which he utterly defeats and destroys the beast, the image to the beast, but especially the dragon, the serpent, that wicked being who has created such misery upon the earth and caused us to be a prison planet. The seven seals are found beginning in chapter 6. I believe today, if you will go and read carefully chapter 6 of Revelation, that you will find along with me that we are probably living today in the third seal. It is with a rider on a horse holding a pair of scales. In other words, a total rebalancing of financial affairs. The Western world is facing that total rebalancing, as is China and other portions of the world. The fiat currency, that is, the currency that has no inherent value of its own, totally controlled by the Federal Reserve, totally used to control our nation, education, entertainment, government affairs. The dollar has become a wicked instrument of lying and cheating and utter perversion. The Lord is going to cause the dollar to utterly collapse. And we are going to go through a very difficult time. That's why this rider is where is riding on a black horse. Black is a symbol in this of death and destruction. And in this third seal, a quart of wheat is what you can buy for one day's wage or three quarts of barley for one day's wage. That is the nutrients necessary for a person to live. So literally, this third seal will cause men and women to work for one day just to survive for food for that day. In other words, bare necessities. However, it also says don't damage the oil and the wine. In other words, the elites are going to remain in their present position of wealth, of power, of authority. We find the Federal Reserve has printed a great deal of money out of thin air. It is counterfeit money. But they've been able to use that counterfeit money to purchase real assets like land, farmland, and other assets, buildings, gold and silver. It's thievery. It's cheating. It's perversion. When we go to the fifth seal, the fourth seal, 
the fifth seal, the sixth seal. Things grow progressively more dramatic. We are not yet today in what is called the tribulation. That will be a seven-year period. But we are in the last days, and we will soon enter what is called the Great Tribulation. Now, the seventh seal, the last seal, is also where the trumpets begin to be sounded. Seven trumpets. Now, these trumpets sounding are a part of the seventh seal. And then after the seven trumpets sound, there are other things that happen that are not listed in the book of Revelation that John was told, don't write that down. But let me read for you this dreadful seventh seal. This is Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, that is when Jesus opened the seventh seal, then what I want you to hear very clearly is that what is going to happen in this earth from here until the end of time will be directly controlled by Jesus as he does battle with the powers of darkness and as he brings the the final conclusion of this warfare between Babylon and Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Now, this is all happening in the context of the first verse of chapter 8, which is, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Why the silence in heaven for a half hour? I don't know. I have two possible suggestions. One, because the angels of heaven were so disturbed by what they saw about to happen to the earth, they could just only remain silent. Or the other answer that my father used to give me as a boy was that this was when Jesus left heaven with all of the angels to come and take home his people. But let me read this for you. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. This is in heaven. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense went together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. A third angel sounded his trumpet. And a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters because they had become bitter. A fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an angel that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe! 
Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Now, what do these trumpets mean? Well, a scientist, an astrophysicist, would tell us that this is a perfect description in Revelation 8, verses 7 through 12, that this is a perfect description of what would happen on the earth if an asteroid were to strike the earth. One prominent prophetic voice has said that a prophet, an identified asteroid, will strike the earth on April 13, 2029. He has a very fine track record. God has spoken to him in the past, and it has come true. He has been 100% correct when the Lord has spoken. Will a prophet, which is identified by NASA as an actual asteroid, will it strike the earth? April 13, 2029. I don't know. But I can tell you that it fits very much in the timeline that I'm beginning to understand. Now, it says here, a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky. Well, the word for star here in the Greek is the word for asteroid. Asteroid. Before an asteroid would strike the earth, you would find all kinds of weather changing with hail, fire. You would find things, small asteroids striking and engulfing with fire. Now, is this going to happen? Yes. When? I don't know. But the seventh seal is the final climax for the end of the tribulation and the coming of Jesus Christ. All of the rest of the book of Revelation, the two witnesses, the woman and the dragon, the beast out of the sea, the lamb and the 144,000, All of these events are brief vignettes, plays that are not in order. All of these are going to happen during the seals being open. For the seals are the schematic of the timeline for God, for Jesus, to finish the history of the world. This is a a dreadful opening of the seventh seal. And if you look further, you look at at the fifth angel that sounds his trumpet under the seventh seal, it becomes a full blown war against the demon powers that have captivated the earth. But I want to ask a question. What does Jesus have to say about this time of the end? Now, we have read just recently the entirety of Matthew 24, where Jesus gives a very detailed description of what is going to happen. He said, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark 
and they knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Well, we know from Revelation that, yes, people are going to be be doing things. People will still get married. They're going to still shop. They're going to... But in parts of the world, there will be tremendous damage and death and famine and pestilence. We know that God is going to deal with wickedness. But, and let me just say, if you haven't listened to the messages up to this point, I do not believe there is any biblical evidence that can justify a belief in a secret rapture before the judgments begin in the tribulation. We will be here through the tribulation. It's under the seventh seal that we are removed, that Jesus comes in glory. Now, there is much disagreement about that. But we'll know as we enter the tribulation, if no one has been caught up in a secret rapture, that we are going to be here for this tribulation. We best prepare spiritually for it now. So that raised the question, how do we prepare? Well, chapter 25 of Matthew, immediately following what he has said to us, tells us about half of the church preparing and half of the church not preparing. Five of the foolish virgins did not do what was necessary. And as I shared yesterday in review, what was necessary was to spend time in prayer and the reading of the word and building a solid faith relationship with Jesus Christ, walking in righteousness before him, being transformed into his likeness. Now, it would also be wise for us to prepare with food and safety. But I believe that Jesus will tell us exactly what we are to do. The great issue is not whether you are physically prepared. The great issue is whether you are spiritually prepared and whether you are doing the work that God has assigned you to do in these last days. he goes immediately into a second parable. These are parables that he is giving us to describe what his heart concern is for his people. And again, in this second parable, we find that Jesus tells us there is going to be a dramatic separation in the church. That all who call themselves Christians will not enter in. Let me read it for you. This is Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. Now, as I'm reading this, I want you to note, this is in the context of the seals. As they're being opened and God is doing the warfare against the powers of darkness, he is also sorting through his church. And today the American church is apostate. It's lukewarm. It's blind and naked and miserable, wretched and poor, and it doesn't even know its condition and gets angry if we talk about it. Verse 23, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Now, just so you know the reality, Jesus is using a talent as a measure. A talent, if we look carefully at the money of that time, would be enough to pay a labor for three months' work. This was no small amount of money. This was a sizable investment that would allow someone to go out and find a way to multiply the money that he had received. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. He will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, during this time of the, of the opening of the seals in Revelation, these are the things that Jesus is saying will be playing out among Christians in the church. Now, what are the talents that are being passed out? Well, we find those talents being spoken of in the book of Corinthians specifically and in the book of Romans. Let me, let me read it for you. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Now each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one the message of wisdom. To another, knowledge. To another, faith. To another, the gift of healing. To one, by the one Spirit, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits speaking in different kinds of tongues and still another interpretation of tongues. He will give them to each one as he determines. Now, if you also look, verse 27, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, those having gifts of healing, gifts of administration, tongues, healing. But there is an even greater gift that God is wanting to give to his people. And this is the gift that is going to be of utmost importance as the world is suffering these opening of the seals 
we are now looking at the reality of a great shortage of food in America. Secular commentary is saying that by Christmas of 2021, the shelves will be bare and people in America will be hungry. Have you prepared for this? And are you prepared to help other people? The gift that I'm going to identify now is the primary gift for the people of God at the end of time. Listen to it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. These are the three gifts of the Spirit that are of most vital importance for a Christian to have in this last day. Not to be terrified. God has no intention of terrifying you. By these dreadful, these dreadful seals that are opening. These are the actions of God in warfare against the powers of darkness, not against his people. And we need to be prepared to invest these these investments that God is making in us for others. Now, as you read Revelation and you look carefully at the trumpets, you look carefully at the woes, you look carefully at the horror that is coming upon the earth. And I may die, I may be a martyr, I may have to give up my body for the name of Jesus Christ. I would consider it a great honor. I only pray that Jesus would give me the strength and the courage to continue holding on to Jesus Christ. That whatever waves I have to walk through, whatever torture I must face, that I would have hope and faith and love that would pour from my heart for the persecutors. Now I want to look with you at at this man that Jesus called wicked and lazy. It's obvious he's speaking about a member of his body, a member of the church that still thinks they have to walk in sin, that they cannot be delivered from their sin. And so they are still wicked before God. They have not been born from above. They have not been released from their demonic bondages. And they are still walking 
making excuses. They are still saving their own life. And so Jesus calls them wicked and lazy. The accusation against God is that he's a hard man. I've heard that so many times in my life. As I preach this honest gospel of holiness by the blood of Jesus, by faith in the blood of Jesus, as I, as I witness and testify that Jesus will deliver you from all the powers of darkness, that there is no longer any excuse to sin against him. People say, oh, pastor, that's a hard God. They much prefer a sentimental God who says you're saved in spite of your sin. You can never overcome your sin. You're always going to be a victim. That's a siren call of the devil in the church of Jesus Christ in America. And it's a lie. John Bunyan did not believe that you could walk in sin and be saved. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Spurgeon, I could name many others who did not believe the lie that you can walk in sin and still be saved. They would say, no, you're not saved. You're still lost. You need to be born from above. You need to be transformed by the blood of Jesus. They're all right. They're in line with the scripture. But the lying church pastors today teach something very different. They say, you're a hard man. Pastor, you're a legalist. No, I'm not a legalist. It's by grace. It's by faith. But grace does not cover and hide sin. Grace teaches you how to let Jesus remove it by his blood and restore you and establish you in righteousness. And so he takes from that sinning Christian all that's been given to him. And that sinning Christian will be cast out as a worthless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I want to share one more parable with you. Yes, we talk about the horrific events that are about to transpire, and we're beginning to see them transpire in America. We're seeing tyranny. We're seeing Marxism. We're seeing the wicked rise up in America. We're seeing every vile thing pour forth, every perversion, every lie, every corrupt government official. We're seeing Dr. Fauci, Joe Biden, and the media absolutely lie to the American people. But this is not new. We've been lied to so many times. 9-11. I could name all the times. I'm not going to go through it. You know that what I'm speaking is true. We see an absolute destruction of morality in America. Now, the judgments of God are coming. And we're going to see horrific judgments of God as they begin to fall and the finances collapse and starvation begins to take place as we see destruction with fire and tornadoes and earthquakes and volcanoes. We see the judgments of God because of the sin in America and in the Western world, in China. We see the judgments. 
But there is a call for us who belong to Jesus Christ to rise up with faith, hope, and love. And in the midst of this utter turmoil, have our eyes fixed on Jesus. In the midst of these these judgments, we're called to live in faith and hope and love. We're, we're called to lead the way in mercy for the lost and the dying that they could be brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Oh, let me read this parable for you. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Again, Jesus is speaking about what's going to happen at the end of time during the blowing of the trumpets, the unsealing of the book, the title deed to earth. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And then verse 47, this is Matthew 13, verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. This is what is going to take place during the seventh seal. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what's going to happen in the church. There is going to be a great separating move of God in the church in America and in the world. And it's going to be a separation between those who continue to walk in sin and those who are righteous, or the word literally means innocent or made righteous. Justified is to be made righteous. The angels are going to come and they're going to separate at the end of time during the seventh seal the wicked from the righteous. If you are what is called a sinning Christian, it means that you have never fully given yourself over to the presence and the power of Almighty God. And that you still need to do that. Now, I want to read for you one more brief passage. It's found in Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means to say no. I've had to say no to myself time after time to things that I wanted and desired, but were not in line with what the Lord God was calling me to be about in my life. I've had many business opportunities to make a great deal of money. I've been promised great income flow. And I've had to say, no. Now, there are others of you that Jesus will give great wealth to because he knows you will not 
use it in a way that will cause you to go to hell. Wealth is one of the most dangerous things in the world. The dollar is filled with evil. Money is the root of all evil. So Jesus said, you must say no to yourself, no to that food, no to that relationship, no to that business opportunity. No, no, no. Why? Because you are a slave servant of the Most High God, and he is giving you gifts that he is going to collect from you on one day. He wants to know what you have produced for the kingdom of God. May I be very forthright. Some of you have produced nothing for the kingdom of God. You are strictly in the Christian church as a consumer, not as a producer. In the end, if you do not produce righteousness, mercy, love, if you do not produce the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, if you do not draw the hearts of others to Jesus Christ, if you have no fruit born in your life, and you have only consumed the gospel and used it to further your own plans, and you've never denied yourself, if you've never taken up your cross and followed Jesus, you will not enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is the simple truth. Verse 25, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. And I tell you today with joy, I have lost my life for Jesus Christ. I pray today that you too have either lost your life or are losing your life by giving yourself utterly and wholly to producing for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. That is what the pagans rush after. Verse 26, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. That's the seventh seal. The trumpets. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And they saw that in the transfiguration on the mountain. Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's going to look at what you have done with your time, your energy, and your money. Are you building your own career? Are you building your own life? Are you building your own success and your lifestyle? Are you buying what you want, eating what you want, going where you want, having those vacations that you want? Or have you said, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, and I deny myself. I take up my cross and I am crucified with you, Jesus. Romans, the sixth chapter. Have you said no to you? Now, I tell you, to say no to you is the most difficult task you will face. For it is saying no to the most basic desires of your heart. How should we prepare for the great events that are beginning to unfold on the face of the earth? By denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus, and he will lead us.
Today, many believe that all of the gifts were for the early church, and they're not here now. Why do they believe that? Because they don't have them. Why don't they have them? Because they have compromised the gospel, and Jesus has withheld the giftings from the church. He has withheld his Holy Spirit because of the evil that is in the church today, because of the apostasy that's in the church today. You want to walk through to the final end? Well, I don't know if you'll be able to. That will be up to Jesus. But I know the only way you will be able to walk through the the storm, the judgments that are coming upon the world, is to read the word and allow Jesus to fill your heart with, with hope, with faith, and with love. And begin now to pour out your heart in love for others. So that the sinner has to look at you and wonder and say, Why aren't you taking care of yourself? Why are you giving to me? It's time to say no to ourselves. And then we'll walk through that dreaded seventh opening of the seal in absolute peace, with no fear. Almighty God, I know the desire of your heart, and it is that we should belong entirely to you and put our trust in you that you will carry us through these judgments that are being poured out upon the earth. You have not called us to live in fear. We will not live under your wrath. But we will watch and pray and endure with hearts filled with faith and hope and love, walking righteous before you by the power of your shed blood on Calvary's tree. Lord, I bless your name today. Your grace is amazing. I am so grateful for your love and your kindness. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening today to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find many YouTube videos, podcasts. You'll find what can help you on this journey. You can also go to or write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, and I would love to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That again is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you go to the nationalprayerchapel.com, you'll find the information for where we meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in Woodbridge, Virginia. If you're anywhere in the metro area, I invite you to come. You'll find a serious group of men and women seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit, praying, fasting, waiting upon Jesus. God bless you, brother. I'd love to meet you. I'll talk to you soon.